All right, I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at f20r.com. That's F as in Frank, two zero, R as in red.com. And I'll see you over there. All right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to Pierre Rich, who is the creator of Mage. Pierre, welcome to the show. How is it going? Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Good, good. I, I'm doing well. I am excited to learn more about what you're working on as it's something that I, it's one of these markets where I don't know that much, which means I'm going to learn a ton on this episode. So I'm really excited. So with that, let's dive right into it. What is Mage? So as you already said that it's like a weird market, Mage is a marketplace to buy and sell Magic the Gathering cards. So we have a marketplace where people can buy and sell these cards. Now, these cards have been around for forever, like 25 years. So the game's actually older than me. Um, and it's a trading card game, so people buy and sell these cards in person. So what we've done is we basically built a stock market-ish platform where people can buy and sell these cards. So we have a bid and ask platform, very similar to stocks. So. That's what we've built, and the company's been around for about two and a half years. We have long story. We've done something completely different before, so that's uh, that's like the the last product we've launched so far is a really cool marketplace. Okay, so this is awesome. I want to uh, ask some kind of basic questions just to learn more about about what it is. So Magic the Gathering, can you explain for people that may not know, maybe some younger listeners? How does Magic the Gathering work? And, and how, this might seem like a very basic question, but right now, how does someone get new cards if they want to play Magic? Well, yeah, I, I would I love to explain it. I mean, it's my favorite job in the world. So you could think of Magic like uh, a combination out of chess, poker, and then what I've added is uh, Lego, like uh, the toy company where you can like, have modular stones. Um, so the reason why it's chess is that every single card has like its role, its attack and defense and actions. So you have your own stack of cards, which you have in front of you. And then the reason why it's also like Lego is that you can decide which card you want to play. So essentially before a game of magic, you uh, create your own deck and a deck is 60 cards. So you basically, you are your, your own creator of your strategy. So think of if you could decide which figures should be on your chess side, right? You could be, you could have five horses or two queens, but you don't know when you can use them. So that's the very simple like uh, comparison to, to things that people know. Um, the way you, you play is that you actually have these cards, which makes the, um, having a marketplace really important. So you need to buy the singleton cards, which you can buy directly or you can buy so-called boosters, which is 15 cards uh, randomized in a, in a plastic bag, basically. 
So let's go a little bit into the acquisition of the cards. So if I wanted to play, is there one option for me to get cards? Do I go to just a local store and I can buy cards? Or is the only way to get cards is going on something like your platform and getting those cards? So, so the interesting part is you can acquire these decks, like these 60 cards pre-constructed in like a local comic shop or a GameStop. Like there's so many places you can buy these decks. Actually, most people don't know that, but mostly every comic store has magic cards somewhere or even some, some like gas stations. So you, you can acquire these 60 card decks and they are pre-designed, pre-constructed, but the power level is obviously really low. So if you want to increase your chances of winning, you might exchange a specific card with something that is slightly better. So instead of, let's do the chess uh, comparison, sort of jumping two fields, the, the card you're buying can jump three fields, right? That makes sense. So if, if I want to play my friend, you know, my imaginary friend in Magic, and, he, and they say that I got to get some cards, I could go to a local comic store, get some cards, but they're not going to be that good. And let's say I just won the lottery, and I decide I want to destroy my friend in Magic, and I want to get some good cards. Is that what I would then use mage for. So that's a very easy like like conclusion, but it's mostly wrong. Like of okay. course you can buy of course you can buy like more uh, powerful cards. The reason why magic is so interesting is that you always usually compete with the same uh, strength. Like it's called formats where you have usually the same power level. Like there is a so-called banning list. Like some specific cards are not legal in these more like uh, low level formats where the power level of specific cards are not too too hard uh, too, too strong so if you decide to play against your friend you will very likely have the same amount of power level so if you outspend him it's probably not legal right you cannot just buy a specific card that says if you play this one you win the game so it's very it's very likely that the both of you will play the same sort of environment same format so uh, in a way, you can always have better cards, but it's not like that the card that is 10x the price is 10x the, the power. So there is some decks that cost 5x less than the, the second best deck. So it's like, it's not the, the, the most expensive deck always wins. It's more like there's a price minimum, like let's say to play a specific format, which is called Legacy, you need to be paying a minimum of like 2k per, per deck like two thousand dollars to to have the chance to play but if you spend four thousand that doesn't make your deck 2x better right so there is some sort of ceilings and, and minimum uh, pay like buy-ins in, in a way that's smart to have that built in because then you know Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates will just beat everyone because they'll just get there's 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 no way you can buy the best deck and then just everyone that's, okay that's just impossible so i'm on your website right now and i clicked a card and i'm super surprised by what i see it feels almost like trading stock would you say you're creating a a, a stock market for these cards that's actually a really good observation so um, in the past people have used facebook groups or whatsapp groups or uh, like all kinds of ebay-ish things and we've been like really looking at 
another YC company called Goat, and then there's also StockX, and then there's uh, there's so many nowadays. Like people using these uh, ways of trading that is really similar to a stock market, and we just we just thought this is so much. This makes just so much sense to have the same economics and the same methods of an actual stock market. So you you're still buying cards. You're not buying any shares or like virtual assets. It's just it's just an e-commerce platform where the the bidding and asking works the same as on a stock market. So yes, we try to build the stock market for nerds. Got it. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about why Magic the Gathering, which I guess leads to like why kind of when did you fall in love with this with this game? And I'm curious, are there other similar card games that you like, or is it just Magic? Is Magic your number one favorite game in this space? I think it's actually an obsession. Like when I was 16, I guess I was super into like online games, like. Uh, like the of course the first person shooters, but also like Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. And then I got introduced to Magic by my best friend, who who I'm still friends with. I'm playing mostly every week, um, which which has been a long time, like almost ten years. So I've been hooked on Magic for like the last seven years, uh, going from really cheap like budget we call it budget decks, like the, the cheaper decks, into really high end decks like three thousand per per deck. Um, I think the most interesting part about this game is actually the community. Like it's really, really like, it does make sense to stop playing magic because it's always changing. And the community is just, um, it's just a part of my, like part of me, but also like family and friends. So in a way it's like the, you know, your the parent generation that's always playing like a specific game, like Scott or something. I don't think that I will ever stop playing magic because it's just, the best game in the world. And the reason why I got into this company was actually by accident. I mean, that's all usually how it happens, right? Um, so I was building a company before this, before Mage, that uh, was selling plastic sleeves for these cards. So just to protect them. That's a really long story. I don't want to go more into that because it's just too complicated. But essentially, I was building that company with a one team or one person business, and then I sold the brand. To another company, um, and that was basically it. My like my start into entrepreneurship when I was like nine, six. I I think I started at like eighteen, nineteen, and then at uh, twenty I started Mage. I love to hear what it's been like and what it has been like to communicate with other people in San Francisco about what you're working on, specifically investors. When you pitched YC this idea. What was their response? I, I, I just like, re, I have really blurred memories of the interview because it was so exciting and you're like rushing in, in adrenaline. So I, but I was, I remember that one of the partners was like, oh yeah, magic. I know that one. That's pretty cool. And there was a moment when I was like, oh, what is happening here? <laughs> so, um, I know that there is just from my research that there were some people who were into magic. Um, I know the, I, I read an article about the, the co-founder of Twitch that magic was his first game. And then I was reading on some other VCs and angel investors who were into magic. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to research. If you just like Google celebrities or angel investors, magic, the gathering, like you see some results, you could even 
search by their name and then see tournament results. But but sitting in front of like a YC partner meeting and then talking about magic and they don't call you crazy is is really cool. Because I've always been called crazy in Germany because well, although magic is pretty pretty big here, the investor or VC scene has no idea about anything about collectibles and trading cards and marketplaces. So it was refreshing. It was actually refreshing. I was I was overwhelmed on how many people play and, and know magic or have a brother who's playing magic. I mean, San Francisco in general and the Bay Area, it's not, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's just so many techies and magic is just a really, I would call it nerdy game. So it was not likely to meet a lot of people who know magic or like magic. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Are there a lot of other tech startups in this space? Is it kind of a blue ocean for you to just capture? So I feel like there isn't much overlap between technology startups and Magic the Gathering, but I could totally be wrong. I kind of am I off base there? Um, you're not off base. So the the funny thing is, like in the last two years, I've seen a, a huge influx of companies going into that space. So. Um, there's definitely not a lot of Series A companies right now there, like a lot of C companies. I think what makes Magic so special is that it's an industry that's been like 25 years old. It's really complicated, like really, really complicated. And it's just most people are not really incentivized to go into that market because it's like niche in a way, but also very uh, I would just call it unique. So I can just give you a quick example. There's no SKU for a card. So you need to build up your own database of like 33,000 different cards and you need to have like uh, a warehouse system that can keep track of everything. And there's just so many things uh, you need to know just in order to start the minimum uh, business. So me having a background in magic in seven years, I still struggle with some mechanics, some, some interesting things I didn't know about. So there's just so many things like nuances that founders need in order to be successful in the magic market that has a really high barrier of entry. Like, I guess I could start a scooter startup very soon, <laughs> but um, just going from zero into starting a company in that niche. Plus you also need to have your, like your standpoint in the community. I was really, I was really glad that I had the chance to build this plastic sleeve business before. So I, ha I had already built a community around me and customers and, and friends who were supportive. Um, I think if you just go from outside and you want to start fresh with no knowledge in magic, I think that will be really hard. Um, but since there's been some successful companies already, um, another company just raised 10 mil uh, that shows that there is money and then there's interest, um, especially given the fact that these card prices can also go really high. Like the, the Black Lotus, the most famous and expensive one, is like selling at $150,000 or $200,000. Um, that's when people get more interested. So another company I know is uh, Mythic Markets, and then they, they, they fractionize ownership of these super expensive cards. I need to make sure I heard you right. Did you just say the most expensive card is over $100,000? Yes. It, it, and that... Is that because, let's, let's unpack why. Why can a card be worth over $100,000? What makes it so valuable 
to, to, to the market. It's like the first comic book. It's just really iconic. It's, it, it's actually really good. It's like a really good magic card. It's usually banned in most formats. So if you would play it, you, you have a really high chance of winning. To put it in a nutshell, it's basically a card that says, if you have no money, now you have three. Like three whatever, three currency. So just doing some quick math is if you have multiples of these cards, you will have a lot of money. <laughs> like in this in-game uh, gold mana currency, right? So it's, it's just a really unbalanced card, but it, it was also the most iconic card that has been printed in the first set of magic, in the first three sets of magic. So I think the real value is just because of its like nostalgia and, and raw power, but also that it's just really rare. Like there's maybe a couple hundred, uh, couple hundred editions of that specific card in, in the hands of owners. And of course, as like artworks and the first comic books, people like rare things and they are willing to pay the price. It's like the Mona Lisa, but different, obviously, like a little bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah. How do you think about user acquisition? Do you sponsor tournaments or how do you get the word out about Mage? So we've tried uh, several strategies. So we've had obviously our own tournament. Um, there was some mediocre success because uh, it's just, uh, it's really hard to organize and the, the return is really low. We might go into tournaments s- sooner or later when we have more resources to, check, to just actually put human labor to work. But right now we go more into influencer marketing, uh, obviously SEO traffic, is, is a lot like the moment you have a lot of blog posts and interesting engagement uh, content that people come on their own search. I guess the most interesting thing for us was was having our own esports team last season. So we have we had like the best six Danish players who were participating in the highest esports league of Magic. Yes, uh, whoever's listening, there is an esports league for Magic. It's called Magic Esports. It's not a joke. It's actually amazing and hilarious to watch. So um, go check that out. So we had uh, the top six team in the world sponsoring, like sponsored by Mage. So that was one way how we got like the brand awareness in the beginning and now trying to convert this, this awareness is by influencer marketing with checkout codes. Essentially, if someone drives traffic to our website, they get, a, get like a referral and discount. So you mentioned the esports there and I'm going to ask a potentially obscene question, but I'm curious. Do you see potentially one day the merge of Magic the Gathering, VR, and the esports? Well, I mean, Magic has done a huge leap. They basically launched a new online client to play Magic Online, which is called Magic Arena. So that's a, a gigantic leap. They didn't have a good online client for the last seven years. So they they had like an old client that looked like solidary or like online chess which is called magic online but with magic arena they really went into went deep into magic esports so having million dollar tournaments i guess i I think the price pool was 10 million just for 2019 for all magic esports tournaments like 10 million is a lot of money Um, i don't think there will be like vr ish games popping up i i just think i mean not in the next two or three years the moment VR will be a thing, there will be a lot of things that no one has expected. So that's a different story. Um, I've seen a GitHub repository actually playing Magic in VR. So it's just paper, right? It's just a frame. Like it, it's not that hard to 
to program it. Could be interesting. I, I'd be down to play it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for Sandbox VR to open up in Phoenix, Arizona, so I can play play esports and uh, and all, and all the good stuff, you know, in the world of virtual reality. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, the moment the moment we have the moment we have good like market adoption rates of uh, VR, we will have any trading card game, whether it be, will be Magic or called VR the trading or whatever, where you have the cards in your hand and you, the moment you play it, like a gigantic dragon will appear and everything starts to burn. Like that, that will happen 100%. Whether it will be magic, I don't know, but that's definitely something that will happen or even happening already. I mean, I'm not in, in that VR space. There's probably five companies building a trading card game for VR right now. The future is going to be wild. Yes. So I want to hear... What is your vision for this company and where do you see it in a decade or two? I mean, I'm, I'm a full stack nerd. Like I started playing Magic in high school and I was always into Game of Thrones and Star Wars and like basically everything you could imagine that has something to do with like weird nerdy stuff. What I've figured is, especially given the rise and growth of esports, that the nerds are the, the new rock stars and <laughs> I mean, I could I couldn't imagine myself making Mage ten years ago. <laughs> I I don't think anyone would care about Magic uh, ten years ago, and especially in VC or like funding for, for like falls. So my goal is just to to build really really cool products for nerds, like the the Apple for nerds. You know, like just the for the past five, even for the past five years. Products for nerds have always looked shitty because they've been programmed by like chemists and f sorry about anyone who's a chemist, but like people who are not in, into tech and like like what's it like just science people and they look like like spreadsheets. The, the website looks like a spreadsheet. Um, like I don't want to be rude. It's really functional. It can be functional, but I just want to build like really cool products where every nerd is like, holy shit, this looks amazing. So. At a, in a nutshell, we're like a full-stack nerd company. Everyone right now in the team is playing and loving Magic, and everyone is just like putting their heads together on how we can improve certain things. So I guess for the for the immediate, mid, like short term, we will focus heavily on Magic, and then the moment we will have a good product market fit and and a lot of growth and res more resources, we will go into more games. You said there is, um, or you, you asked if there is more card games. Yes, there is a, a handful of games that have more than 10 million or even more players. Uh, so there is Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, just, just to name a few. And then we will see what the, what the everyday like, nerd like me likes to, to buy and sell. So I could see going into comic books. I could see going into board games. I could see going into... Um, these pop culture uh, bubbleheads. I don't know if you know them, but like these, you know, Heisenberg and Superman figures. So there's a bunch of things we can try, but for now we want to focus on magic. Mage, the apple for nerds. That literally <laughs> is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. What a I cool just want to make like I just want to make. I just want to make beautiful products that where people know that they've been taken care of. Um, yeah. I think it just, it just shows a matter of respect of an industry. If, if you build something like 
everyone knows how Uber looks. Everyone knows how like whatever the Apple apps look. And then the moment you open up the magic app on an iPhone, it just looks shit. Like if you open up the play store or Google apps uh, and uh, Apple app store, and you go for like magic app, it just looks shit. And I just don't want to have shitty products for my favorite hobby anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that's great. Uh, something I'd like to know as we start to round it out is I'd love to know on your journey so far, you know, going through YC, raising some cash, building products, getting users, what have been some of the, the biggest learnings that you've had as a founder and maybe some that you didn't necessarily expect to have? Oh, there is so many. I think the biggest one was, was noticing that we've built a technology looking for uh, a problem. That was the biggest mistake we've done. To give you a quick example, we, start, we didn't start out as an e-commerce marketplace. The, the initial product was called Snapcardster. We had a Kickstarter campaign where we built an app to scan these cards. So you could think of like a barcode scanner just for these trading cards. So we used computer vision and machine learning to detect and recognize these cards so you could create your collection and inventory. So it had nothing to do with trading or buying and selling. It was more like a build your own collection tool because I was frustrated to lose overview over my collection. The biggest problem was this technology was a not 100% accurate which you need to have like it's it's a shitty product if it's like 99% or 96% accurate so we were looking for different verticals to do machine learning and computer vision instead of looking at what can we do better for magic so we were not really focused on the problems in the beginning but more on like hey we have this technology and this knowledge what can we do with it and that's a i would say the number one mistake a lot of naive founders think of or like you hear that a lot that people don't tackle a problem they have a have some they've built something with like mediocre traction like we had i don't know forty thousand downloads in the app store and, and a successful kickstarter campaign but it was not something sustainable to build uh, a good business around the scanning technology as far as i mean maybe someone will but we we failed to monetize this app so we had to pivot into a marketplace my second and last question for you is what tips would you have for someone who wants to get started but doesn't have the first step how i i quickly became a problem person like when people tell me that they have like something here something there i'm not really listening on the the way they speak or the like the pain they endure i mean that's obviously really important to know that the, how they feel i mean that's a, it's really important to understand that your friend and, and your whatever user you're looking at but i'm 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 a i'm a problem problem focused person so understanding the real issue like do you complain because of the problem or do you complain because you haven't complained enough today? And I've, I've noticed that even your lo most loyal users sometimes just complain about something, but they don't want the underlying problem to be solved. And that's a gigantic thing to, to, to understand because the moment you just go blind into your users and build everything they, they want and complain about that is not working, you're just 
creating this massive stack of features that don't really like you, you lose focus of the mission. So it's really important to, to find minimum, maximum two problems. Like for us, it was the authentic authentication, like the authenticity of cards and the ease of use of buying and selling. So it was not about insurance. It was not about making your, like creating your collection really fast. We could build these things and there was like a lot of demand from all kinds of different features, but you would lose like your focus on these things. So as a new time founder, I would say focus on one problem and try to solve it and then see how much return you have on that solution, on that value you've generated and and then go into the next problem. Like don't try to go for like a, like a jack of all trades. I've always tried to build like the all in magic app, which is covering everything about magic. And we've just like ran blindly into like all kinds of problems because of that, because none of the features were like working hundred percent. Everything was just like barely working. Um, so now we just want to make sure to be like laser focused on one problem. And then if it doesn't work well, then we didn't do a good job on observing the problem. Maybe the problem was not big enough or we, we failed, but at, at least we failed by, by giving everything into, into solving this problem and not just 5% because we were fighting 10 different problems. In what way can I and the forward-thinking founders community help you? What is an ask that you have for the community? Wow, that's a cool, that's a cool question to, to ask. So I think one thing I've done in the past is to, to monitor or like just day track my, my mood every day. Like the, the things I do, um, the, the feeling I have at the end of the day, so like I use, I use a journal to track everything basically, like just a, it feels like a WhatsApp message to myself at the end of the day. Um, what helped me the most is sharing these entries with one of my best friends out of YC, uh, who you should definitely talk to. His name is James Sinka. And we just talk about his entries and my entries and like sharing just the ups and downs. If, if that's something you want to go into, just having these forward-looking, forward-thinking founders to collaborate on their everyday needs. It's just really simple. You just screenshot your, your daily entry and then you send it. So that's something that has really helped me to go through like the really dark times. And there is a lot of dark days in Germany, trust me. <laughs> so that's something I can highly recommend to just reflect on your everyday thoughts. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. I really like that. So you all have heard if you if you want to help there you go and uh, Pierre thank you so much for coming on to the podcast I learned a ton especially about a new market and I think what you're working on is fantastic and, and and really interesting so I just appreciate you taking some time and sharing about it on the podcast Matt thank you so much for having me it was it was a pleasure talking to you